I'm novelist Sherry Todd Bayshore, and this is Mystery Podcast for my suspense thriller, 24 Sussex Drive. Chapter 3 The Cold War never really ended. It went underground, then waited, morphing and reorganizing into something far more treacherous. White Court, Alberta, May 12, 1997 David was still away on business. He'd flown to Seattle for a three-day coastal erosion conference. So when Victoria arrived home from her meeting with Tom Williamson, David wasn't there to talk to. She felt an almost desperate confusion about her direction, with serious reservations about her ability to pursue an investigative news expose of property taxes. When David phoned later that night, she had difficulty filling him in on the meeting with Tom. The girls wanted to talk to their dad, passing the receiver between them in useful excitement. She gave up trying after managing only a bare outline, deciding details could wait until he returned home. It had been much later, long after the girls had gone to bed, before Victoria was able to reach Bruce White to give him the same simple outline of her meeting with Tom Williamson. Bruce had been working late as usual at the paper. He edited and co-owned the local weekly newspaper, The White Court Star, jointly with his two sisters, Colleen and Megan. The Whites were an energetic trio with the welfare of the county of Lac St. Anne, and their scenic hometown settled in among the tall pines of the White Court Forest, their ultimate priority. Victoria's pattern had been to work uninterrupted on her weekly column for the coming edition each weekend while David spent time with their young daughters. With David away, this week had been a frantic patching of the usual plan wedged in with additional research about Sparks. Victoria had started writing her column at the kitchen table the day before, then moved her notes and the portable typewriter to her bed that night, and then finished writing it back at the kitchen counter while Anne and her older sister Jill ate breakfast. By 8.30 she was running late. Victoria had packed a tote of Lego, modeling clay, and coloring projects for three-year-old Anne, ready for a nine o'clock morning meeting with the Whites at the newspaper office. The local paper had become suspicious prior to Easter. At a conference of Alberta weekly newspapers held at the Jasper Park Lodge the first week of April, Megan White had been the first alerted to the existence of the doubtful history of the White Court's town manager. Meg had attended the conference alone and struck up a conversation with two other small-town editors. During the conversation with Bert Langstrom, editor from St. Paul, and Lou Walters, editor of the Lacombe paper, Meg mentioned Warren Sparks' name. Bert Langstrom had frozen into an immediate uncomfortable silence, mumbled a vague excuse, and then walked away as quickly as his ample stature had allowed. Lou Walters, editor of the Lacombe Globe, had shaken his head. So that's where Smoothie went. I could never find out from our mayor if he knew or not. Meg had tried to press him further on the spot, but Lou wouldn't talk to her at the conference or anywhere in the lodge. Instead, Lou asked her to meet him at the Cliffhanger coffee shop later that evening. At 8 p.m., they settled in at a table by a corner window with strong coffee and Meg's thinly contained patience. She added cream to her mug. Okay, so what's the history here on Warren Sparks? I thought Bert Langstrom was going to be physically ill when I mentioned Sparks' name. Lou Walters dropped a sugar cube into his cup. His response was slow, deliberate. He was likely close to doing just that. Bert has softened a great deal as he's aged. Twenty years ago, he wouldn't have let someone like Sparks off. 
I only let my digging drop because our new mayor assured me he had taken care of the matter and Warren Sparks would no longer be recommended for any new civic positions where he had access to public budgets. Meg's nerve endings had arched, and she couldn't resist a slight sarcastic dig. Well, Warren Sparks is our town manager now. Should the man be in jail? What happened in St. Paul and Lacombe? Bert's an old friend, Meg. He taught me a great deal about weekly newspapers. He helped me get the globe started. Please, Lou, it's not just me. The taxpayers of Whitecourt need to know. Don't congeal on me now. Too many arbitrary issues have started to surface over our property tax assessments with no clear explanations. My brother thought it was town council bungling or inexperience, but if Sparks has a past, then likely none of the council is at fault. I don't agree with that entirely, Lou cautioned. The mayor and council do carry a responsibility, all of them. They aren't just supposed to keep a chair seat warm. They need to pay attention and do whatever they need to do to stay informed for their entire term. Anyway, Lou continued, as far as I could discover, Warren Sparks started out as a regular type guy. He was a junior partner with his uncle, Martin Bell. Bell Accounting Limited was a small firm but reliable and well-established. About a year after his uncle's death, Warren Sparks started a sales campaign to expand his business from just other small businesses to obtaining new contracts with small towns. He struck the proverbial pay dirt with St. Paul. Bert had just been elected mayor, the consummate amateur politician. The newspaper business he knew, but civic administration not at all. However, he had been seriously critical of the previous mayor as lazy and inept. Bert's campaign promise was to straighten out St. Paul's budget affairs for his fellow taxpayers. After the election, only two members of the town council were veterans. The rest were all as inexperienced as Bert. Auditors working for St. Paul at the time were Ryerson and Peters. They attempted to explain some of the complicated finery of running a town, but Bert didn't understand half of it. Worse yet, because they had worked for the previous mayor, he suspected they were leaving out information and were deliberately confusing him so that he didn't renew their contract. To add to Bert's headaches, the town had been without an administrator for the previous six months. Ed Salter had retired, and Ed's replacement was another matter, Bert as new mayor, and the new council needed to attend to after the election. Into this ripe melodrama strutted Warren Sparks to save Bert's novice political butt, or so Bert thought at the time. Sparks immediately struck up a friendship with the worried newspaper mayor, and from there Sparks proceeded to explain everything to Bert in Mickey Mouse terms, assuring him that he could find St. Paul a replacement manager and it would be no trouble for Bell Accounting to take over St. Paul's books. Bert went happily back to publishing his newspaper, relieved that a great burden had been lifted from his troubled shoulders. He even wrote an editorial about the generous Warren Sparks of Bell Accounting contracting their services to St. Paul and for no extra cost was temporarily filling in the administration management post. To make this longer and very unfortunate story shorter, Sparks hired a warm body to sit at the manager's desk, but Sparks ran the show. Sparks slowly but steadily slipped thousands of dollars of St. Paul money from its accounts to the accounts of dummy vendors. It was Alice Cummings, headed cashier in the administration office, who first noticed the new manager wasn't as knowledgeable as she was. Anyway, 
Since Sparks had to keep traveling back and forth between Edmonton and St. Paul, he couldn't always be at the right place at the right time to manipulate circumstances the way he could have if he'd been on the scene daily. But his biggest mistake was underestimating Alice Cummings. When Alice discovered what Sparks was doing and how he was doing it, she went straight to Bert. But that was like going to an auto mechanic with a toothache. Bert didn't understand much of the technical details, but he understood Sparks was shady. Bert blew up at Sparks, confronting him with Alice's facts. Unfortunately, Sparks had several key pieces of documentation with Bert's trusting signature on the bottom line. Bert would have been implicated as well if he blew the whistle. With Alice's help, Bert may have come out of the affair completely cleared, but with only embarrassment to live with. However, instead, he panicked, feeling totally out of his element, and allowed Sparks to walk away. After just one year as mayor, a very long year, Bert resigned, citing his high blood pressure. The last of loose coffee was cold. He signaled to their waitress for a refill. Meg waited for the waitress to leave. I see now why Bert was so distressed at the mere mention of Sparks' name. How did dear Warren get involved in Lacombe? The same way? Bert took a sip of the hot coffee. No, a new twist to his accounting ploy there. When the town of Lacombe advertised to fill an opening for a new administrator, Warren Sparks showed up with a solid background of experience from his own firm he was in the process of selling. He also included with his resume the newspaper clippings featuring Bert Langstrom's glowing write-up set to print. A faint, pale pink glow radiated from behind the jagged mountain peak, silhouetting a view of the most renowned fault section of the Canadian Rockies. Lou was momentarily distracted by the reassuring scene. Meg leaned forward. Her mind spun with all the stormy information she could hardly believe was real. You were sane? Reluctantly, Lou returned his attention. Right. Well, Frank Gardner was Lacombe's mayor for six years. He was nobody's fool and prided himself as such. Frank was a shrewd businessman and well-versed in Lacombe's civic affairs. He was juggling his profession as a pharmacist with two drug stores in Lacombe and his third term in office. Warren Sparks duped him. When contracts were called for tender for various civic projects, Sparks altered the figures. Even the lowest bid gave him a nice profit of a couple thousand dollars. And the new scheme went well for Sparks for about, oh, 18 months, until he got just a little too bold with his pen on a few bid alterations. Frank, being Frank, checked with other towns and then the contractors directly suspecting the construction companies of price-fixing and trying to take Lacombe for suckers. Frank discovered other towns that contracted for similar road, bridge, and other construction work had received far more reasonable bids and the contractors he contacted were confused as to why he thought their bid prices were too high. At all previous council meetings, Warren Sparks had very efficiently provided a photocopy of each bid to the mayor and each council member, and no one thought anything of the routine. However, because they never saw the originals, photocopies didn't show where he altered the numbers. With so much conflicting information, Frank marched into Sparks' office and demanded to see every one of the original bid sheets. Sparks obliged, but again had Frank's signature on a number of dubious pieces of paper. That shook Frank so deeply his pride was broken. He had been hoodwinked like an amateur, and that was a fact his ego couldn't take. With what little confidence he had, he ordered Sparks to pack up and leave town there and then. One week later, bold as brass, Sparks walked into Frank's Main Street store with a letter of reference Sparks wrote for himself. He shoved the letter under Frank's nose 
handed Frank a pen, and Frank signed. I can assure you that Frank Gardner isn't the same man today he was six years ago. What he did and didn't do has eaten away at him with each passing year. I only got the final story from him at a New Year's Eve party this past December. The following day he came to see me and begged me to forget what he told me and not to pursue the matter. He claimed that he and the new mayor set events in motion to deal with Sparks, but I realize now that he hadn't. Meg visualized large, bold headlines across the pages of the White Court Star for future publications. Do you suppose that you could get signed statements from Bert Langstrom and Frank Gardner? Lou firmly shook his head but smiled, as a journalist he himself knew what she was thinking. I doubt it. If neither of them pressed charges years ago, they sure won't now. Just the time lapse alone would add even more to their embarrassment and their liability. But they might, Meg persisted. They might come forward to help if they knew the town of Whitecourt was pressing charges. Yes, they might. But the town of Whitecourt isn't pressing charges. The town of Whitecourt isn't even speculating. It's just the staff of the local newspaper with an uneasy feeling they can't back up with solid evidence. Yet, Meg winked. Lou had rolled his eyes, leaning back in his chair. Okay, fair enough. Meg knew she needed help. But if my paper did collect enough solid evidence to make a case against Sparks and or anyone connected with him, could I count on you to talk to both Langstrom and Gardner to convince them to come forward? I'd agree to try. I couldn't promise anything beyond that. But for the time being, you do need to keep everything I told you close. Initially, the star staff had questioned the mayor and town council as a whole why taxes were so high for such a small community. The mayor's explanation was a vague, convoluted justification based on current pricing materials than the cost of transportation, which clarified nothing. With the information from Meg's conversation with Lou Walters the month before, merged with what Victoria shared from her recent meeting at Tom Williamson's office, the newspaper staff decided to regroup and refocus their probe. Bruce sat on the floor with Victoria's three-year-old daughter, Anne, in the middle of the layout room. He emptied the Lego from her tote and built a house for her clay people to live in. I posed a hypothetical situation to our good-natured police sergeant, to which he told me that because the original parties didn't come forward at the time of the alleged first and second offense, no prosecutor would likely take the case due to the lapse of time. However, the original damaged parties could make a current case stronger if they came forward that demonstrated a habitual pattern, but any new evidence would need to be strong enough on its own merits to support new criminal charges. Colleen White flipped open her notepad. For the last six weeks, only town office insider we have that we can count on is Gloria Lang. She's watched Warren Sparks as close as second skin. She checked and rechecked hundreds of forms, letters, and ledger sheets, but she doesn't have access to the locked files in Sparks' office. She has no idea what his game is this time, but she's sure it isn't paying town funds to dummy vendors, nor is he padding contract bids. Something like that would have shown up eventually in the files that she did have access to, especially if someone was looking for those specific discrepancies. Well, this year's property tax assessments will be going out to all residential property owners next week. Bruce got up from the floor. The mayor isn't going to like me very much, but based on what we do know so far though much of it is second-hand, I'm going to write an editorial that hopefully pressures the mayor into contracting for a forensic audit. The White Court Star editorial caused a series of heated town meetings between council and voters. 
However, the matter of an audit was tabled due to the cost until after the fall election. Bruce White had thrust with a scathing editorial, but then Warren Sparks had parried using the expense of a forensic audit due to the limited budget. This sly move convinced the Whites even more they needed to come up with a scheme to expose Sparks. Because the editorial hadn't had its intended effects, the paper's executive siblings decided they needed to find another new town council insider, and they did. This ends Chapter 3 of the three-chapter plot hint for my suspense thriller, 24 Sussex Drive. If I've done my job, you'll want to know how the rest of the story evolves. And to do that, the original 400-page novel is available in digital or print format via patchworkpublishing.com or amazon.com. Thank you so very much for listening. I appreciate it.